Attention. Podcast disclaimer. The writer's intention is to explore real-life situations and emotions in this fictional context. Again, this podcast is a work of fiction. Absolutely, none of the events depicted are real. The storylines and characters are purely fictional and created for entertainment purposes. However, please note that this podcast may address sensitive issues that some people may find distressing. It is not suitable for children or individuals who may be sensitive to such content. Viewer discretion is advised. Episode 4, Shadows and Secrets, Unraveling Truths Welcome to Apostle Wilson's scandalous faith drama, The Pentecostals. Quote, Truth is like the sun. You can shut it out for a time, but it ain't going away. End quote. Elvis Presley. Note, this episode includes sensitive and disturbing themes. Please exercise caution while listening. Scene 1, Shadows Over Peace, A Disturbing Revelation. The scene opens simultaneously in the homes of Archbishop Mackenzie and Bishop James Wright. Both men are settled in for the evening, their living rooms bathed in the soft glow of their respective televisions. A sudden news flash cuts through the tranquility of the night in both homes. Breaking news from upstate New York a young, unidentified black male has been fatally shot. Authorities are currently at the scene, and investigations are underway, the news anchor reports, her tone grave. Archbishop Mackenzie sits up, his expression turning to one of alarm after seeing, one of his ministers, on TV being examined by a paramedic. At the same time, Bishop Wright watches the report with a look of concern, unaware of any personal connection to the incident. At that moment, Archbishop Mackenzie's phone rings startling him. It's one of his ministers who was present at the scene. The minister informs him that Minister Michael London Archbishop's driver has been shot and killed. The news leaves the Archbishop speechless as he listens to the details. After a few moments of conversation, he hangs up the phone, a mix of shock and concern etched on his face. He says to himself, I have to call Bishop Wright. Moments later, Bishop Wright's phone rings. It's Archbishop Mackenzie, and his voice is laced with worry. Bishop Wright, did you see the news? The young man who was shot, was my driver Michael London. Bishop Wright's face registers shock. What? I had no idea, Archbishop. Elder London? Archbishop Mackenzie's voice trembles with urgency. He got into a confrontation with one of the Manzetti's boys at our last meeting. This shooting could unravel everything. I got word the police are already asking questions. Bishop Wright's mind races, trying to piece together the situation. This is serious. We need to figure out our next steps carefully. As they talk, tension builds. Archbishop Mackenzie is clearly distraught over the implications of the shooting, while Bishop Wright struggles to grasp the severity of the unfolding situation. Unseen by Bishop Wright, Overseer Sarah Wright stands by the doorway, overhearing the conversation. Shock and disbelief wash over her as she listens. As the call ends, Bishop Wright is left in a state of deep contemplation. At that moment, Overseer Sarah bursts into the room, her face etched with concern and anger. James, what have you gotten us into, she demands, 
her voice trembling with a mix of fear and disbelief. Bishop Wright, caught off guard by her sudden entrance, struggles to find the words. Sarah, it's... It's complicated. This involves the Archbishop and some dealings that... That didn't go as planned. He takes a deep breath and continues, back in 1990, during the construction of the church, the funds began to dwindle, and the project faced a financial crisis. Desperate to complete the construction, Archbishop Mackenzie made a fateful decision. He turned to a local loan shark with ties to the Mafia, hoping to bridge the financial gap. Overseer Sarah, Mafia, I know you're lying. Didn't we have the service two years ago and burn the mortgage from the bank? Bishop Wright's voice trembles as he reveals the harsh truth. Over time, however, the interest on the loan from the loan sharks has accumulated, and the church finds itself in dire straits, struggling to keep up with the mounting payments. Overseer Sarah's eyes widen as she absorbs the weight of the revelation. The gravity of the situation sinks in, leaving them both facing a treacherous path ahead, unsure of how to navigate the dangerous consequences that come with the staggering debt. Overseer Sarah Wright confronts her husband about the dire financial situation. Shocked and bewildered, she asks Bishop Wright the question that weighs heavily on her mind, Oh my God, James. We've been walking around here telling people the church is paid off. How much money are we talking about? Bishop Wright, his face etched with worry and regret, musters the courage to reveal the truth. Sarah, it's a staggering amount, he says, hand wailing in the air, as he talks with his hand. The building cost about $40 million, and the 10% interest rate they gave us adds another $22 million. Overseer Wright rushes him, just tell me how much, James. He stammers, about $62 million, he admits, his voice filled with a mixture of shame and despair. Overseer Sarah says, but wait a doggone minute, what does Bishop Mackenzie's loan have to do with us? We need to just go to the loan shark and explain we had nothing to do with that deal. Bishop Wright, with a tone of urgency and concern, explained, Sarah, these individuals aren't open to discussion. They just shot a man over one late payment, for God's sake. He continues, this is the reason why the archbishop was so eager to retire and make me the pastor. He didn't pass on the role because he wanted me to have it. Bishop Wright then revealed a truth that had long perplexed Overseer Sarah, providing her with much-needed relief from a complex she harbored about being a woman in ministry. You and everyone else are well aware that you should have been the senior pastor of Light of Grace, he said, but the Archbishop didn't want to put you directly in harm's way, a fact he disclosed during one of our disputes. He further clarified, I accepted this role because, irrespective of your thoughts, Sarah, I love you and I would never want anything to happen to you. Overseer Sarah, overwhelmed by the revelation, staggers back and collapses into a nearby seat. Her mind races to comprehend the magnitude of the debt and the dangerous consequences that come with it. The weight of their secret hangs heavily in the air, threatening to shatter the foundation of their lives and the church they hold dear. In that moment, she also rekindles an inkling of respect and love for her husband. Overseer Sarah's eyes widen, her mind racing with the implications of his words. We need to go to the police, James. We can't be involved in this. Bishop Wright, kneeling beside her as she leaned forward in the chair embraced his wife, his expression grave.
No, we can't do that, Sarah. If we go to the police, it could put you and our entire family in even greater danger. We have to think about the children. They. They could come after us. The tension in the room escalates as the reality of their situation sinks in. Overseer Sarah pushing him, stands to her feet, pacing, visibly shaken, struggles to process the information. But we can't just do nothing, James. This is serious. Bishop Wright looks at her, his face a portrait of conflict and fear. I know it's serious, but we need to be cautious. Going to the police isn't an option. We have to think this through carefully. The scene concludes with the weight of the dark secret hanging heavily in the air, leaving the characters grappling with the immense burden they bear. As the reality sinks in, the rights are left facing a treacherous path ahead, unsure of how to navigate the dangerous consequences that come with the staggering debt. The revelation of this long-kept secret casts a shadow over their lives, the church they hold dear, and Sarah's view of Archbishop. All of this setting the stage for the challenges and transformations that lie ahead. Scene 2, A Family in Turmoil, Clashing with Authority Three days after Jermaine Johnson's tragic accident, the hospital is a place of quiet anxiety. Jermaine lies in an induced coma, the steady beep of the heart monitor a constant reminder of his critical condition. The decision to keep him in this state is to aid his healing, but the atmosphere is heavy with uncertainty and worry. In a nearby waiting area, prophetess Vanessa Johnson, Jermaine's mother, sits wearily while taking a phone call. Her face, usually serene and composed, now shows signs of strain. Two police detectives approach her, their expressions stern. The officers interrupt her call. She tells her caller, I'll have to call you back. Ma'am, we need to ask your son some questions about the circumstances leading to his accident, one officer states, his tone implying urgency. Vanessa, taken aback, responds with a mix of shock and protectiveness. Do you realize my son is in a coma? He can't answer any questions. Please, he needs to rest. The detective persist, their insistence bordering on harassment. It's important we get his statement. The circumstances of the accident are suspicious. We believe your son was under the influence. The detectives, for reasons unknown, chose to conceal certain critical findings from the accident scene. Unbeknownst to Angela and her mother, a significant stash of drugs and an astounding $2 million were uncovered at the crash site, weaving an even more intricate web of mystery and suspense around the incident, possibly thinking that Germain might have ties to a bigger criminal connections. At that moment, Angela Johnson enters. As soon as she walks in, she fixates on the scene, sensing the tension in her mother's voice. Seeing her mother cornered by the detectives, Angela's fury ignites. What the hell is going on here? Angela demands, her voice rising in anger. Why are you harassing my mother? Can't you see my brother is fighting for his life? The confrontation escalates quickly. Angela's protective instincts for her family clash with the detective's insistence on questioning Germaine. The tension in the air is palpable. One detective tries to calm the situation. Ma'am, we're just doing our job. We need to understand what happened. Angela steps closer, her temper flaring. 
Your job is causing more pain to my family. Leave us alone. The situation reaches a boiling point, with Angela nearly getting into a physical altercation with the police, risking arrest. Hospital staff intervene, attempting to de-escalate the confrontation. Finally, sensing the volatility of the situation and the intervention of the hospital staff, the detectives agree to leave, but they make it clear, we will be back. Just as Prophetess Vanessa steps out to go to Germaine's room, with an unexpected twist, Prophet Ezekiel Richardson, the charismatic guest preacher from New York, enters the scene. Known for his prophetic message to Angela at the revival in episode 1, his presence immediately captures Angela's attention. This is her first time seeing him in casual attire, and she finds herself drawn to him. Self-consciously, she runs her hand through her hair, her mind filled with concern over her appearance. Prophet Ezekiel spots Angela and greets her with a warm smile, Angela, it's good to see you. Angela, surprised but pleased, responds, Prophet Ezekiel, I didn't expect to see you here. Are you here to see a friend or family member? He chuckles lightly and replies, actually, I flew in specifically for the Johnson family. Angela, taken aback by his dedication, murmurs a grateful, thank you. My mom will be so happy to hear this. He stops in his tracks, looking slightly embarrassed, and says sincerely, I am really here to make sure you're okay, Angela. The scene concludes with Angela noticeably unsettled yet taken aback as Prophet Ezekiel's presence instills a subtle sense of tranquility. In this emotionally charged scene, Angela and her mother, Prophetess Vanessa Johnson, are faced with a daunting challenge at the hospital with Germaine's critical condition. The relentless intrusion of the detectives exacerbates their distress, creating a conflict that tests their endurance. Amidst this turmoil, the unexpected presence of Prophet Ezekiel introduces a beacon of calm. His commitment to the family and his soothing demeanor provides a momentary respite from the conflict, encapsulating the power of faith and unity in the face of adversity. Scene 3. Light of Grace Pentecostal Church Board Meeting After a bit more heated conversation Bishop Wright exits the boardroom visibly upset, his composed exterior barely masking the inner turmoil. As Bishop walks toward his office, Prophetess Mariah Edwards approaches Bishop Wright, her face etched with concern. Bishop, is everything all right, she asks, her voice gentle yet firm. Bishop Wright attempts to brush off her concern with a forced smile. Everything is fine, Mariah. Just concerned about this church business. Prophetess Edwards, however, isn't easily swayed. Bishop, it is more than just this meeting. I have never seen you like this. Does this have anything to do with the shooting?" she asks, her question catching Bishop right off guard. What are you talking about? He stammers, his surprise evident. Prophetess Edwards continues, her voice steady. The Lord showed me a few months back and I was disobedient, and for that I am truly sorry. The Lord told me to warn you. The Lord showed me, there is some kind of mess that you've been pulled into. Bishop Wright dismisses her concerns with a wave of his hand. Stop it, Mariah. I don't know what you're talking about, sis, he says, turning to leave. Undeterred, Prophetess Edwards grasps Bishop Wright's arm. Bishop, my Holy Ghost don't lie. I'm not here to judge you. I want to help, she insists. 
Bishop Wright pauses, looking at her as if he is on the verge of confession, tears welling up in his eyes. He gently removes her hand from his arm, holds it in his own, and says, Thank you, sis, I genuinely appreciate your concern. I can't let you become entangled in my problems, but I can handle this. He turns and walks away. Unbeknownst to them, Mrs. Thompson and Deacon Johnson have been watching the exchange from a distance. Though they can't hear the conversation, the interaction raises suspicions. Mrs. Thompson turns to Deacon Johnson, a hint of scandal in her voice. See, right here in the church. He retreats to the privacy of his office, shuts the door, and takes a moment to center himself before picking up the phone and starts dialing. Apostle Melvin Taylor's voice greets him from the other end, his tone both commanding and relaxed, reflective of his unchallenged authority over his church in upstate New York. As you may remember, Apostle Taylor was the clergyman that Bishop Wright had a phone conversation with in previous episodes. Although he stated he was in the midst of a board meeting, the sound of teenage girls giggling in the background told a different story. Hey, Melvin. It's a hot mess down here, man. Just came out of this board meeting where everyone's in my business Bishop Wright starts, his voice tinged with frustration. Apostle Taylor chuckles, man, James, you gotta run it like I do up here. No one's questioning me. My word is law in my church. Yeah, I get you, but it's different here. Bishop Wright responds, his tone serious. You founded your church, mine was inherited, big difference. You don't have a Mrs. Thompson. Bishop Wright, you can't let the likes of Mrs. Thompson rattle you. Man, ever since Archbishop Mackenzie chose to marry that young girl and not her, she's been pissed at the world Apostle Taylor chortles. You've got to maintain control. A reputation of a weak-willed leader inviting the board to overstep could tarnish your image irreparably, he cautions with a hint of sarcasm in his voice. The conversation takes a lighter turn as Apostle Taylor jokes, hey, you still seeing that Angela girl? Remember the stories you'd tell? The two share a laugh, but Bishop Wright's is strained. He gives away some details but carefully omits the fact that Angela is pregnant. Yeah, well, you know how it is. And believe me things are really getting interesting. Their laughter is cut short as Bishop Wright's expression abruptly changes. He glances up to see his wife, Sarah, entering the office. His voice drops to a whisper, Hey, Melvin, I gotta go. All right, James. Keep your head up, man, responds Apostle Taylor as the call ends. Bishop Wright quickly puts the phone down, adjusting his face to a neutral expression to greet his wife. She glares at him with a hint of disgust, saying, James, you have the nerve to be in here, laughing after all that's going on. She looks at him and demands, get up we have an appointment with Dr. Steele in one hour. Overseer Wright says, I have to make a few stops, you will have to drive, as the couple leave the office headed to the parking lot. Scene 4, Truth and Transformation, A Challenging Marriage Session The time is now one hour later and the setting transitions to a place of solace and understanding, Dr. Olivia Steele's office. Dr. Steele, a highly respected marriage counselor, started her professional journey at Harvard University, earning her doctorate in counseling psychology. 
Bishop James Wright and Overseer Sarah Wright enter and stop at the receptionist desk. The receptionist looks up with a warm smile and asks, Bishop and Lady Wright so good to see you, Doctor. Steele will be right with you. Before they can take their seats, the large oak door opens Dr. Steele steps out. James and Sarah, so good to see you. They exchanging light-hearted small talk about recent church events. The casual conversation barely veils the tension between them. They all walk into the offices, Dr. Steele with a firm yet compassionate tone. I'm glad you're here. Remember, this is a space for open dialogue. What's said here stays here, separate from our church roles. If you recall Dr. Steele is a member of Light of Grace and assist as the director of the wellness department. Dr. Steele says, for your privacy, I thought it best not to meet at my office at the church. After they settle in, Overseer Sarah promptly shares her frustrations about the rumors concerning Bishop Wright. How can I trust you when everyone's whispering about your infidelity, she questions her voice echoing with distress. Bishop Wright interjects defensively, those rumors are baseless. Why can't you see that? Their exchange quickly escalates into a heated argument, with accusations and denials flying back and forth. The atmosphere in the room becomes charged with anger and resentment. Dr. Steele, observing the growing conflict allows it to go on for a few minutes then, interjects forcefully. Enough. You're not here to argue like children. We need to address the real issue. What is the root problem here? Dealing with insecurity. Doctor. Olivia Steele focuses on Overseer Sarah Wright's reactions to the rumors about her husband. Overseer Wright, recognizing and confronting your insecurities is crucial here. How you're internalizing these rumors is telling. Overseer Sarah, defensive, responds, insecurities? Excuse me, there is nothing about me is insecure, I'm simply reacting to what's being said. How does that point to insecurity? Doctor, Steele remains composed yet firm. It's about how deeply you're letting these rumors affect you, sweetheart. Like right now, notice how nasty your tone is. Steele says with a big smile on her face. Listen, my dear, I want you to understand something. Yes, your husband's actions do matter, but it's crucial that you don't let them, or what other people say, define your self-worth. Your value as a woman is not determined by these external factors. Overseer Sarah appears unsettled yet contemplative. But isn't it normal to be worried? Steele nods empathetically. Worried, yes, it is natural, but there's a threshold. When outside voices start shaping your self-perception of who you are and trust in your marriage, notice I didn't say your husband, but your marriage, that's when we cross into the realm of insecurity. What Steele was doing here is trying to help overseer Sarah Wright understand the impact of her reactions to rumors on her self-esteem, underscoring the importance of maintaining a strong sense of self-worth independent of external circumstances in a relationship. After receiving the wisdom of Dr. Steele, they attempt to resume their argument with each other. Steele regains control of the room. The session ends on a more positive note, with the couple giving each other a hug, albeit still tense. They had driven individually, so Overseer Sarah exits first, leaving Bishop right alone with Steele.
Steele looks at him directly. Bishop, if you're hiding something, you need to be open and honest. Bishop angrily responds to her accusations, what do you mean? So you don't believe me either? Steele smiles and says, you're trying too hard to make people believe you, sir. I've been doing this for the last 25 years, and I can tell when someone isn't being truthful. For this process to work, you have to be honest. Bishop Wright starts to rebut again, but Steele's stern gaze makes him reconsider. He nods, humbled. I understand, he murmurs. Thank you. The scene closes with Dr. Steele's knowing look, highlighting the challenges ahead in their counseling journey. Scene 5, Mexico City Rain. Another scene opens. The evening rain blankets Mexico City in a shimmering veil, giving the bustling streets a subdued, almost mysterious ambience. The rhythmic sound of raindrops sets a somber tone as they gently strike the pavement. A sleek black limousine navigates the slick streets, cutting through the rain with purpose. It pulls up in front of a cozy Chinese restaurant, its neon sign flickering in the rainy night, a beacon of warmth in the cool, wet air. The limo driver, dressed in a crisp uniform, swiftly exits the vehicle and hurries into the restaurant, leaving the car unattended for a moment. Seizing the opportunity, a tall, imposing figure emerges from the shadows of the rain-soaked street. Dressed in black, he moves with a predator's grace, his steps deliberate and measured. The man is Eduardo Rivera, known in the underworld as El Recollector de Almas, the Soul Collector. He slips into the front passenger seat of the limousine, a sense of danger enveloping him. In his hand, he wields a handgun with a silencer, which he immediately points at the unsuspecting passenger in the back seat. The tension inside the limousine is palpable, a stark contrast to the serene sound of the rain outside. The passenger, surprised and fearful, remains frozen, staring down the barrel of Eduardo's gun. In the thick of the tension, Eduardo's phone shatters the silence. The sudden trill of the ringtone slices through the air like a knife, causing everyone in the vehicle to stiffen. Eduardo, without breaking eye contact with the passenger, lifts his finger to his lips, indicating for the passenger to stay quiet. He reaches into his pocket and pulls out his phone. His thumb swipes the screen, and he raises the device to his ear. His voice, a stark contrast to the dangerous situation they are all in, is gentle and filled with warmth. Then, the unexpected words tumble from his mouth, Angela, baby. How is daddy's little girl? The dissonance between Eduardo's menacing presence and his tender words to his daughter creates a chilling, surreal atmosphere. The camera focuses on his face, a complex tapestry of ruthlessness and paternal warmth. While still holding the gun on the unknown passenger in the back seat of the limo, Eduardo, who we now know is Angela Johnson's father, says, Angela, baby, hold on, calmly. This is a stark contrast to the tense situation. He deftly mutes the phone, his eyes never leaving the man in the back. At that moment, the store doorbell rings, the limousine driver is returning to the car, as he is opening the door, unaware of the danger that awaits. Without hesitation, Eduardo points the gun at him and pulls the trigger twice, the silenced gun emitting barely audible thuds, one center mass and one to the head. The driver collapses instantly. The passenger, seized by panic, 
attempts to open the door to flee, but is swiftly met by Eduardo's precise shots. With the situation handled, Eduardo unmutes the phone and resumes the conversation as if nothing had happened. Sorry about that, baby. Now, tell me what's going on, he says, his tone returning to its earlier warmth. Angela, unaware of the grim scene that just unfolded, with tears, pours out her fears about Germaine's condition as a result of the accident. Eduardo listens, his expression unreadable as he begins to walk away from the limousine under the cover of the rain and the bustling city crowd. As Eduardo strolls calmly, blending in with the people on the street, the distant sound of police sirens starts to fill the air. They are heading towards the scene of the shooting, but Eduardo continues his walk unfazed, his focus entirely on his daughter's voice. Everything will be alright, baby. I'll be there soon, Eduardo reassures her, his voice a soothing contrast to the chaos he's just left behind. The camera follows Eduardo as he walks, the rain cascading down around him, the sounds of the approaching police growing louder. He's a figure of calm in the midst of a storm, both literally and metaphorically. The scene fades to black with the sound of Angela's relieved voice and the approaching sirens, leaving the viewers in suspense about what Eduardo's involvement will mean for Angela. This scene juxtaposes the violent actions of Eduardo with his calm conversation with Angela, highlighting the dual aspects of his character as a loving father, ruthless assassin, and Mexican mob lord, adding depth and tension to the unfolding narrative. I'm Apostle Martin Wilson, and you've been listening to the Pentecostals podcast. You can follow the Pentecostals on Instagram, our Facebook group, and catch all our episodes each week on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Apple Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you haven't subscribed on Apple Podcasts, go there now and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me again next week for another episode of Apostle Wilson's The Pentecostals. Thank you for listening. Join us on an epic journey through the Wild West era with Apostle Martin Wilson's Ransom Union, Legacy of the Modern Frontier. Dive deep into the life of Ransom Union, a formidable warrior, a beacon of resilience, and the rightful heir to a staggering fortune. Explore the trials and triumphs of his life, his battles against societal norms, and his unwavering quest for justice. Step into the world of the 1800s, a world of raw courage, unflinching loyalty, and relentless pursuit of freedom. Every week, we'll bring you a new episode filled with intrigue, drama, and historical insights. Don't miss out on this incredible journey. Tune in, like, share, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.